0: with me to Ephesians again, chapter 1. We're going to look at uh, these verses, verses 10 through verses 12. And I want to ask again, wherever you are, if you're able, if you would stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word. We're going to begin again reading in verse 3. And um, as we um, finish out this sentence, not tonight, but Wednesday night, we'll finish out this sentence. And so Verse 3, Blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise and glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have the redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, wherein He hath abounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure which He hath purposed in Himself. Now verse 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of time, He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Father, again, I pray you'd speak to us afresh and anew. And Father, I pray you'd take these truths, make them fresh to us. Father, I pray that, Lord, we'd understand that what we have in Christ one day will be perfected. And so, Lord, would you uh, speak to us through these truths in a way that would help us and edify us. And, and Father, build upon that hope that we have within us um, that one day uh, we will be made like Christ. And so, Lord, we'll give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want you to look at this passage with me tonight. Now, this passage deals with the consummation of the saint. And you say, what do you mean? Well, what we've seen in verses 3 through verses 9... We've seen the work of God the Father and what He predetermined in our spiritual blessings and the pathway of our salvation and our adoption. And and we've seen all these things that God the Father has done and and planned for, for you and I to be reconciled to Him and to walk in what we have in Christ Jesus. Then this morning we saw how the Lord Jesus brought all that to fruition by redeeming us by His blood and that He would abound towards us all wisdom and prudence, that we'd understand how to walk in the reality of the redemption in which we have. But can I tell you one day, there's coming a day when the Lord Jesus will bring all things unto Himself. And when that day occurs and God brings all this unto himself in Christ Jesus, that'll be the perfection of all we have in Christ and all that Christ is in us. Because, listen, I can experience Christ here on earth as I walk by faith. and I can experience Christ in his victory and in his peace and all those different aspects that we talk about over and over again. But can I tell you, there's a day coming when there will be a perfection of that, and there will be no more flesh to deal with, there will be no more unbelief to deal with, and all these truths will come to a perfect head in glory one day when we are brought together in Christ Jesus in our glorification. And that's what this passage is really dealing with in the beginning. So I want you to look first at the perfecting of the saints. He begins by using this term, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one. I want you to look, the precise work of God. You say, what do you mean? Well, this perfecting of the saints is a precise work. In that, God has a precise time in which all this is going to occur. And that's this term, in the dispensation of the fullness of time. Now, you have to understand. You say, what do you mean in the dispensation of the fullness of time? I'll deal with that word dispensation in just a minute. But what it talks about is that when the culmination, when the completion of God's plan for time takes place, then God will bring everything unto himself in Christ Jesus, and that will be the consummation of the saint. It will be the consummation of this world, and of everything. You say, well, what has to take place for all that to be reality? Well, can I tell you, God, in his plan for, for this world, in his plan for, this ch- for the church, in his plan for his children, all those things have to be accomplished. Now, we understand that we live right now in what's called the church age. We understand the Bible teaches that there's coming a day when God the Father has already determined that he will rapture his church out. The bride of Christ will be caught up in the air to meet Jesus in the air. Now some people say, well, that's not talking about the rapture. That's talking about the second coming. I got news for you. At the second coming, Jesus doesn't stop in the clouds. Jesus comes and puts his foot up on this earth. But in the rapture, we're going to meet Him in the clouds. And there is the next event in God's calendar. And then there comes the time that's called the tribulation period. And when that time of the tribulation period comes, God will begin to judge those that are upon the earth. And as He does that, He will promulgate the gospel throughout the world there's a lot of people that tell me hey the rapture can't happen till every people group in the world has heard the gospel I got news for you if you study the Bible very closely you'll find out that that truth matter of fact let's just turn there Matthew chapter 24 notice what it says this is the verse we use It says, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Now watch verse 15. When you therefore see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, who readeth, let him understand. Then let them, which be in Judea, flee into the mountains. And of course, that's talking about the Jews that flee from the wrath or from from the persecution of the antichrist but if you read matthew 24 very closely the all the verses before that are talking about tribulation prophecies not pre-rapture prophecies matthew 24 is talking about the events that will happen before jesus comes in His second coming not in the rapture so when will every people group hear the gospel? It won't be until the tribulation period. It won't be until that time that every people group will hear the gospel. So I'm here to tell you, if you're waiting for every people group to hear the gospel before you think the Lord Jesus is going to rapture the church out, you may be left behind. You may be one that thinks that, hey, I've got all the time in the world. So many people groups had not heard the gospel. I've got all the time in the world. i got news for you. When the moment in a twink Clean of an eye at the midnight cry when you least expect it. That's when Jesus Christ will come back. And this is the fullness of the dispensation of time. And then after that, Jesus will come in his second coming. And he'll set up his millennial kingdom. And this will be the fullness of time that we're looking at here. Isn't it amazing that everything God said would take place has taken place? It's amazing that God, in the precision of what he said, he told Israel how many years they would be in captivity. And just as he said, Israel came out of captivity. He told us how long it would be till Jesus would be born of a virgin. He told us where Jesus would be born. He told us how Jesus would be born. And just as God said, it took place. He told us how that Jesus would provide our salvation. And just as he said, Jesus did. He told us through the feast when Pentecost would happen. And just as God said, it happened. He told us when the atonement would happen and Jesus would die on Calvary at that very moment in which the priests were bringing that atonement sacrifice. Listen, if you read the Bible and you understand of the precision of God controlling time, controlling the events through history you'll understand that when God says and only when God said that son go get your children will the rapture of the church happen and only when God said son go set up your kingdom will the kingdom be set up but can I tell you God's already said we just don't know the answer and God's already predetermined when this time will be this fullness of time won't you see secondly under the perfecting of the saints, a powerful work. It's an amazing passage, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and on earth, even in him. What is this powerful work? Well, this word dispensation, here's what it means. It's a compound word of two Greek words, and here's what it means. It means to manage the household affairs. So here's what it's saying. That God, from the foundation of the world, is managing the affairs of this world. Can I tell you today, the coronavirus did not catch God by surprise. Can I tell you that every event in this world did not catch God by surprise? Can I tell you that every event in this world, God knew it before he ever created one tree or before he ever created one mountain or one body of water. God knew this before the foundation of the world. And God has his perfect will and his perfect plan in place based upon what God knew was going to take place in our world. And everything is lining up just as God said it would. You say, how is that possible? Because God's in control. God is in control. Colossians 1 tells us very, very easily in verse 15 through 18 that all things were created by him and for him and that all things consist by his hands. Can I tell you what's keeping this world together? It, as much as we listen to the news, you wonder if this world is even together. But I want to tell you something. If God lets loose this world, is over. God keeps it together. In his mercy and grace, in this, this age in which we live, God is keeping everything together. And so this powerful work speaks of the day that all creation, all the redeemed, will be brought together under and an in Christ. what does this mean gather together the Greek word means to sum up or to head up in other words if I talk to Howie and I said Howie I've got a ministry I want you to head up what am I saying to Howie I want you to oversee it I want you to govern it I want you to control what happens in it uh, in other words the responsibility is upon you to operate that ministry in a way that's well-pleasing to God. Well, can I tell you what's going on? Everything that's happening in our world is God just doing one step at a time, taking us through the history of His perfect and mighty plan of time. And God is heading up. God is going to one day sum it all up. And when He sums it all up, He's going to gather together under Christ's authority All that's in heaven, all that's in earth, and all of the redeemed. It's going to be a glorious day. Y'all have heard me say many times that the whole truth of the Bible speaks of a kingdom and Jesus being the king. The Bible says in Colossians, Christ is the head of the church. The Bible says in Romans that we as believers have entered into a kingdom in which he has all authority. But yet we live in a day where even though God is sovereignly in control of all aspects, God has allowed the authority of Satan to work. God has allowed other authorities to work. And we have not been brought together in perfection under the total authority of the Lord Jesus. But can I tell you, there's coming a day that that'll end. And there's coming a day that God will deal with Satan. God will deal with all those that are against him and against the church. And those that are left will, be reign, will rule and reign with Christ in a time called the millennial kingdom. And in that time, here's the glory of it all. All of us will be under his and his only authority. Won't have to... Worry about my flesh dominating what I do. Won't have to worry about somebody else in the terms of peer pressure causing me to do something I know I shouldn't do. Won't have to worry about Satan or or or, or the angels of hell Coming against me. Won't have to worry about demonic forces. Won't have to worry about principalities and powers. In other words, there will only be one authority in our lives. And it will be the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll bring all things together. Gather together all things in Christ. Now watch it. So verse 3, Christ is our spiritual blessing. Verse 4, he's the pathway to salvation. Verse 5, he is our adoption. Verse 7, he's our redemption. Verse 8, he's our wisdom and prudence, our understanding. Verse 9, he's the mystery of God's will, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And verse 10, he will now rule and reign over you and I. You see, all this... Holds into the person of Christ. Notice how it reads. He'll gather all things in Christ, in oneness with him, in rest with him. Can I tell you what what it's going to be like that day of that millennial? There'll be perfect peace, perfect rest, because Christ will be on the throne. Nothing will pull you away from Christ, nothing will cause your affection to be pulled away from Christ. All of it will be under his authority and everything will be under Christ. I want you to look thirdly, a purifying work. When we use this term, gather all all together in Christ, the only way that's possible is God has to do a work of purification. You know, folks, you and I need to understand as the church That there's coming a day in which you and I will go through a work of purification. You say, well, preacher, I thought we're already pure in Christ Jesus. I thought we're already righteous in Christ Jesus. Hey, can I tell you? You're standing before God. That's true. But practically, there comes a day called the Bema Seat of Christ in which God will burn off the dead works. And the only thing that will remain, the Bible says, is the gold and silver and precious stone. And those things are going to be tried by fire. In other words, purified by fire. And now in the perfected purity of Christ will be under him in all authority. I hear people all the time say, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to hang on. I'm just going to do the best I can till I get there. And when I get there, everybody will be on equal footing. I got news for you. That's a lie. Can I tell you when we get to heaven, not everybody will be on equal footing? Now, is, is heaven for every child of God? Absolutely it is. But the Bible says that we will have authority based upon how we have served here. So in other words... There'll be crowns in which some will receive and some won't. There'll be aspects of praise which some will be able to participate and some won't. But there'll also be areas of service that are given to those that have yielded and submitted and surrendered the most. Not everybody will be on equal footing. Now, will everybody be under the authority of Christ? Yes. Will everybody be under that precious uh, uh, truth that we are glorified in our bodies? Yes. But how we serve Him and how we praise Him in the millennial kingdom will be based upon what you allow Christ to do in and through you here and now. So we need to understand that. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 tells us Because if you look at this verse real quick, it says all things in heaven and on earth. So what it's speaking of, it's speaking of not only the redeemed, but also his creation. And notice what it says in Romans chapter 8 verse 19. For the earnest expectation of, of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willing, by reason of him who has subjected in the same hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. What is the creation groaning about? It is anticipating this day when not only will the church be purified in perfection, But there's coming a day when God will have to purify his own creation. Because remember, when Adam fell, his creation came under the curse of the fall, the curse of sin. And so when the Bible says Jesus died, the Bible says that God so loved the world, every created thing. Jesus died not just for you and I. Jesus died to redeem his own creation as well. And this will be the culmination of it all it'll be a purifying work but notice lastly under this perfecting work of the saint it'll be a permanent work the idea here all things in Christ it speaks of permanence in the original text in other words this work in which God perfects us, this work in which will come in the fullness of time when God brings everything to completion, it'll be an eternal work. Think about it. When that day comes, whether through death or whether through rapture, that we meet Christ Jesus face to face. In 1 John chapter number Three tells us we become like Christ. Can I tell you? That'll be from that moment through all eternity, it'll never change. Never, ever change for all of eternity. You say, what's my eternity going to be like, Pastor? You're going to serve, worship, love, adore, and bask in the glory of the Lord. That's what it's going to be like for all eternity. Why well, don't you see a second aspect in verse 11 and 12? The provision of the saint. The provision of the saint. Not just the perfecting of the saint, but the provision of the saint. Notice verse 11. In whom also, in who's this whom? Christ. You see, this is the source of our inheritance. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance the source of our inheritance. Just as we saw back in verse 7, in whom we have redemption. Here in verse 11, in whom we have obtained an inheritance. Now, I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. I I dealt with this inheritance a little bit when we dealt with the adoption, but this is from a little different aspect, and I'll explain that in a minute. But here's what I want you to understand. Your inheritance is not something God gives you on top of Christ or with Christ. Your inheritance is Christ. In other words, it says in whom we have found an inheritance or we have obtained an inheritance. In other words, Christ Jesus is the inheritance. And so when we talk about the source of inheritance, just like the spiritual blessings, just like the adoption, just like the redemption, it is Christ Jesus that is the source. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, Blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us unto a lively hope How? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now notice what it says. To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and fadeth not away. In other words, here's what it says. In other words, this inheritance in which you and I have received, whatever this inheritance is, it's incorruptible, it's undefiled, and it'll never fade away. Can you think of anything that would fit that description other than the person of the Lord Jesus Christ? He is our inheritance now first peter goes on to close out that verse by saying reserved in heaven for you i'll deal with that in just a moment but this is the source of our inheritance now i want you to look secondly at the status of our inheritance notice what it says we have obtained an inheritance Uh, This word we have is in the heiress. You say again, preacher, what does that mean? It means a one-time event never to be repeated. So in other words, this inheritance that we have received, it was something God gave once, never to give again. You say, when did I get this inheritance? Well, let me ask you a question. When did you get Christ? You say, well, when when does this inheritance become real to me? When did you get Christ? When can I walk in this inheritance? When did you get Christ? I want to tell you something. God saved you once. He'll never save you again. And when God saved you, you got Christ. And when you got Christ, you got the inheritance. He is the inheritance. And that's the status. And you say, well, preacher, is our inheritance not going to involve when we get to heaven? It is. But here's the reality of it. You don't have to wait till you get there to begin to enjoy it. We have it. Notice, if it just referred to when we got to heaven, it wouldn't say we have. It says we will have. But it says we have now obtained an inheritance. And this inheritance is Christ Jesus. See, this is the status of our inheritance. It's a heritage. It's a... It's it's the person of Christ that you and I can walk in here and now as we walk upon this earth. But notice thirdly, the standing in our inheritance. One of the things that captivated me about this verse is when you put it in the context, the context of verse 10 is the consummation of the saint. What takes place when God perfects us? And verse 11 flows out of that. And so it puzzled me, even though it's true, we have an inheritance that we can walk in and enjoy here. How does that fit in to this context of what's coming when Jesus gathers all unto himself? And I went to the interlinear Bible, which is the literal translation from the Greek language, and here's how it reads. It reads this way. We have been made an inheritance. And you say, wait a minute, preacher, did I receive an inheritance? Or was I made an inheritance? Yes and yes. You you say, well, which is it? Both. You say, I don't understand. Oh, listen, it's glorious. Listen to this. Christ is in you. You received an inheritance. But the Bible also says we are where? In Christ. So if he is the inheritance, we received him when he saved us, but yet God placed us in Christ Jesus at the right hand of the Father in majesty upon high, then guess what? Not only did you receive an inheritance, you became God's inheritance. You ever saw yourself as his inheritance? You say, well, preacher, you can't prove that anyway. Well, I'm glad you asked. I can. Look at verse 18 of chapter 1. The Bible says, the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory. Now watch this, of his inheritance in the saints. The picture there, again, is Christ. But it speaks of us. God has placed his inheritance in us. In other words, we've become God's inheritance. Now you say, well, preacher, there's nowhere else in the Bible it teaches this. Yes, it is. By the way, this is passive meaning God has operated to make you this way. How many of you agree today that Israel was God's shadow and type for what God wants to do in us, the church? Well, listen to what God said about Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 29, yet they are thy people, speaking of Israel, and thine inheritance. Notice what God said. Here's what Moses is saying. God... Israel is thy inheritance which thou brought us out by thy mighty power and by thy thy stretched out arm. Deuteronomy 32, 9. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. You say, preacher, what does it mean I'm his inheritance? Oh, here's what it means. We can experience our inheritance in Christ. But God has placed His inheritance in us that we could be in turn His inheritance for all of glory. Think about it. Why'd God create man? Isaiah says that He created man to bring glory unto Himself. You see, here's the truth. The truth of it is This, that if God created us to bring glory to himself, then God had to share that glory with us because there was nothing about us that was going to glorify God. So somehow God had to take his glory and share it with us. Well, now, would you agree that his glory is part of his inheritance? Listen to what Jesus prayed in john 17 this is not on your outline so if you want to write it down but john 17 listen to what jesus prayed concerning you and i the church john 17 verse 21 he says that they all may be one as thou father art in me and i in thee now listen to what he said how should the oneness between you and i be in the same way that the oneness between Christ and God the Father was. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, and they also may be one in us. So how should our oneness with Christ be? And the same way that his oneness with the Father was. That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. So what's the purpose of this oneness? That it would be a witness to the world. Now watch verse 22 and the glory which thou gavest me. Now watch this. Jesus is praying, and he's saying, All right, Father, the glory you shared with me. Here's what he's praying. I have given them. What? The glory God the Father gave the Son. The Son gave to you and I. You say, Preacher, I don't understand that. Oh, it's this simple. God the Father, God the Son in complete unity. And Christ shared in that glory. And when God saved you, Christ Jesus came in you, placed you in unity with the Son, as the Son is in unity with the Father. The Bible says, as sinners we come short of what? Glory but as saved Christ in you the hope of what? Glory. So can I tell you what Jesus prayed? The glory thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Let me ask you a question. When Jesus walked up on this earth, The Bible says all you saw of Christ was the Father. And when you saw Christ, you saw the Father. You saw the attributes of the Father. You saw the holiness of the Father. You saw the character and nature of the Heavenly Father. God who could not be seen was seen in Christ. And everyone that saw Jesus for those 33 and a half years, they could look upon Jesus and know who God was. Now, would you agree that glorified God? Because glory speaks of the manifested presence of God. That's what glory refers to. So when they saw Jesus, did they see God living? They did. Well, God the Father was in Christ through the Holy Spirit. God the Son is in us through the Holy Spirit. So when we walk in this world, what should they see? Well, they ought to see Christ. Well, if they see Christ, then who are they seeing? They're seeing God the Father. So therefore, if God the Father gave God the Son his manifested presence, his glory, and God the Son, in turn, gave that manifested presence to you and I by giving us himself, How many agree today that wherever we go, they ought to see Christ, and seeing Christ, they see the Father? We are standing as his inheritance. Well, notice the sovereignty over our inheritance. Notice what it says. This inheritance we've obtained, being predestinated according to the purpose of him, that work of all things after the counsel of his will. The word counsel means purpose of his will. So what do you mean the sovereignty? Well, here's what it means. God not only planned out your salvation, how you would be saved through Christ. God not only planned out from the foundation of the world your blessing that is Christ, but God also planned out your inheritance, which is Christ. Now here's what it means, that before you were, God had our life planned out. He had a perfect will for each one of our lives. And when we walk in that will of God, here's what happens. The Son is seen, the Son shows the Father, the Father's glorified when we walk in the will That he had for us. Now here's the the rub. Okay. Just want to make this clear. You were saved. To walk. In his will. For his glory. You wasn't saved for yourself. You were saved for him. And what the truth of it comes down to is this. And every one of us has to ask this question. Right here right now, as I'm standing here, or as you're sitting where you're seated, can you say with a true heart of assurance that I'm in the center of God's will for my life? Because I think I know that part of that judgment seat of Christ as, the, as for a believer is going to be involving. What God's perfect plan for your life was, and how much of it we walked in. And how much we walked in will determine our praise and our service. So I want to ask this real quick after the counsel of His will, the purpose of His own will, who knows better about the plans of your life? You or Him? And so wouldn't it behoove us to be in so right fellowship with Him that if I even begin to step out of His will, the Spirit of God deals with my heart because there's nothing I would want to ever step out of His will. Every decision we make, every step we take, every move we make is going to be based upon am I and the will of God. How quick can I get out of the will of God? Just like that. One step, one decision can get me out of the will of God. Listen, folks. I've wore that T-shirt so many times I don't even want to talk about it. I spent two years going to a church God didn't send me to out of the will of God. And he literally jerked the rug out from under me. Now, did he accomplish some things in my life through it? Yes, I can look back and praise him for what he'd done in my life through it. But I knew I wasn't in the perfect will of God. Folks, listen, make sure you're walking in his perfect will. Let me show you lastly, and I'm done, the splendor of our inheritance. Notice verse 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory. Now remember, in verse 6, to be the praise of the glory of his grace. But verse 12, that we should be the praise of his glory. So if his glory is his manifested presence and his glory is his predetermined will for our life, why should we walk in it? That we would be a walking trophy of his glory. That everywhere we go and everything people see would be the glory, the manifested presence of God. Lehman Stroud. I want to close by a quote from Lehman Strauss. And I believe this sums this up to a T. Listen to what he said. Here's what Lehman Strauss said. When God found me, now remember, you didn't find God, God found you. When God found me, I was no better than a cobblestone, not worth picking up. But he took me into his laboratory of grave. And by the chemistry of atoning blood, he possessed me. And I came out as his jewel. A bit rough, I'll admit. But after years of cutting and buffing and polishing, he will present me at last before his throne absolutely flawless. I want to read that again. When God found me, I was no better than a cobblestone, not worth picking up. But he took me into the laboratory of grace, and by the chemistry of atoning blood, he possessed me. And I came out as his jewel, his inheritance. A bit rough, I'll admit, but after years of cutting, buffing, and polishing, he will present me at last before his throne is absolutely flawless, perfect in Christ. So what's God doing in you right now? He's polishing, cutting, buffing, molding, shaping. But can I tell you the end? One day, you'll stand before him And you'll be without spot and without blemish. My, what a day that'll be. I hope and pray that you understand that what you have is Christ. And who you are is his inheritance. And what he gave you was his inheritance. And you can walk in it. And if you walk in it, you're walking in his perfect plan for your life. Jeremiah said, he planned out my days before I was even in my mother's womb. He knew me before I was. Wow. Jeremiah went on to say he called me before I was. You say, God did that? Oh, yeah. You say, what's his plan for my life? Well... That's for you to walk in fellowship with him. And here's what I found. He wants us to know it worse than we want to know it. But we have to be in right fellowship with him. And one day, he'll present us as a perfect, spotless bride, jewel, in his treasure trove. His inheritance.